Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help anybody out there that's thinking of starting a business do just that. Equally, if you've started a business and are struggling, maybe you need a little bit of inspiration and knowledge. And we hope by interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers that you'll get the knowledge you need to become the person you want and turn your business into that dream company. I personally have started 17 companies from scratch and have invested in over 65 startups. When I sat down and analyzed how I did it, I discovered a secret. It was all luck. I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, without luck, it ain't gonna work. Each week, I will discuss with my guests this theory and see if luck is a skill as I feel it is. I hope you enjoy our episode this week. Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My entrepreneur this week is David Young. He's the CEO and founder of Green Monday Group. David, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. David, I wonder if you could start off by just telling my audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a serial entrepreneur, uh, just really loved the energy, the passion uh, of entrepreneurship and this drive to make change, to make something better happen. Um, well, for my work in particular, um, I, the Green Monday group is about promoting a more sustainable, healthy food paradigm. Uh, and the way we do it is through food innovation is to create the food, the future food platform uh, that basically bring together the most innovative plant-based brands from around the world and to create the movement of Green Monday to advocate every, everyone to go plant-based at least one day a week. Um, personally, I've been on a plant-based diet for almost 20 years. So this is not um, something that I just picked up you know, a couple of years ago, but rather a pretty, a very firm commitment uh, from myself. And I'm just very lucky to say that right now, that personal commitment and personal passion has become my full-time career and venture. I think it's very inspiring what you do, and I've been a big fan of, of your movement um, since the very beginning. Maybe um, you could define for us as an outset question what success means to you. Yeah, I think this is a – well, this – question or this topic alone, we can spend 30 minutes or an hour just to discuss what is success, right? I mean, for the longest time, of course, most people would quantify or define success as, you know, fame, money, wealth, um, you know, et cetera, or ranking, you know, um, possessions, how many things do you own? Uh, but I think that has really evolved, right? I mean, the last maybe 10, 15 years, many, many more people are saying, well, I mean, not that they are against uh, more material things, but with the world we're in, with all the problems that are happening, you know, can success be defined in a broader way, not just personal interests or personal benchmark, but rather something that's much more holistic, much more comprehensive, much more about common good. So right now, I think, I mean, that's, this is my definition of success. Uh, and I do believe that, you know, in the future going forward, this is hopefully the direction that more entrepreneurs and companies will take on 
and that is what is the collective impact that we make, positive impact that we make to the to the society and the world. Now, if we are solving a you know a global problem and we are able to come up with solutions and innovations to address those problems, then by default, your company will be successful in terms of you know uh, revenue, in terms of company size, and all that. Uh, by default, you know, because it means that you are doing something important enough to solve or address the world's problem. But the primary definition is, you know, how big of an impact or how how big of a change can we create to lead the world to a better state? So that really, to me, is kind of uh, from a macro point of view, what success should be. And then on a more micro point of view, just on a personal level, I really, I think it's about living my life to the fullest. You know, it's about uh, maximizing the meaning uh, and the impact of my life. That, you know, whichever day, you know, whichever age when I depart from this world, um, you know, what will people say? You know, it's not really about leaving a legacy. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's, oh, you know, during my journey, you know, during my lifetime, I have made this difference um, in, in, in our community, in our society, in our world. And that to me is that I would consider that a successful life. There's two interesting points there. And I, I want the audience to pick up on, on your kind of inspirational, I guess, um, company organizational goal at, at the collective impact point alongside, you know, your personal goal because I think I think they are separate when I ask this question most people don't separate it like you just did it's quite interesting that you mm. separate it but they, they're linked yeah. of course but they can be different right. your company and personal goal but I feel yeah. like you're very enlightened and how did you get this way you know was it 20 years ago when you started eating plant-based uh, diet you know what what changed how did this happen well you just used the word enlightened right um I I love reading and learning about Zen, about Buddhism. To me, Buddhism is not a religion. It is a philosophy about how to live life wisely, happily, joyfully. So I am a student of Buddha. I, you know, I'm not a very good student, but I, I am a student. I do very much aspire to learn and to practice the wisdom taught by Buddha. Um, and really, I mean, the, the key fundamental essence of Buddhism is about enlightenment. In fact, the word Buddha itself, itself stands for the enlightened one. Like Buddha doesn't mean God. Buddha doesn't mean, you know, the, the, you know, the omnipotent, uh, you know, just superpower. Buddha, the name itself stands for the enlightened one. So, it is about having a different viewpoint, a different perspective on life. Uh, now, most of us, we are living in a very confined, you know, worldview. Um, so we think of the world or we think of our career and our success in a relatively narrow manner. Uh, and what the enlightenment, you know, from, you know, that Buddha is teaching is, hey, you know, there's a much much bigger world outside. And once you get out of the box, once you, you know, look from that angle into our own life, then you realize that, hey, you know, what troubles me or what we think give us happiness 
may not really be the real answer. So, so yes, I mean, I am I benefit a lot from reading and learning about Buddhism and Zen. Now, again, I mean, I don't think it has any conflict with any other religion. It really is just a philosophy of life. Actually, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I am um, I'm, I'm religion agnostic personally, and I, I'm open to all conversations and all religions. I find it all interesting. But I have a Buddha statue in every single one of my rooms in my oh. home, in, in part because I, it's not, I don't see it as a religious symbol. I, I yeah. see it as a philosophy of you know, right. do good to people and, and you know, think deep and learn and those types yes. of things right so um you know not i never i never tell people to be a buddhist myself it's not really about that it's not about following uh, a particular yeah. so i i love you know one of the one of the practices that you know most buddhist students would do is simply practice mindfulness now and nowadays it has become more widespread that again it become religion agnostic um and you know it's simply about giving some time to yourself you know, focus on the present moment, focus on your breath. And, and just by doing that, just by practicing that is we, it sharpens our focus. It allows us to block out noise. It allows us to focus on what, what are the important matters on hand. So, so in fact, mindfulness is, I mean, there are a lot of study and a lot of books right now that says, you know, mindfulness is uh, almost like a secret, uh, you know, a secret recipe or secret formula, formula behind a lot of success, successful people is um, they practice, they, they use this as a, as a window to give themselves more personal time and to uh, really focus and sharpen their, their mind when they want to focus on something. It's becoming more mainstream now, like my three-year-old um, yes, in his nursery, so. even doing mindfulness, you know, and so it's kind of fascinating. Yeah. But, but when did yes. this... I mean, as, as, let's go back to David as a child. Then you know, you know, were you always this way, or, or did it this this philosophy of things like Green Monday and the way you think has it has it evolved over time, or was it with you when you were young, or was there someone that inspired you? How did it happen? Well, um, I always say that my dad uh, is the one single person who inspired me the most. Um, he was a very he passed away about 11 years ago, but he was a very successful business person. Um, he created his own business. And then, you know, later on, he sold the business and then start to dedicate his life uh, to philanthropy, um, helping people, just giving back. And, and when he gave back, it was his, like he achieved his highest level of joy. And I could see that. Now, um, he was the one who really, start to study and start to practice Buddhism. And he also was the first one in the family to turn vegetarian. So, um, but, but he never asked us to follow him. He just kind of did it by example. And, you know, you know, he would never say, Hey, you got to follow what I'm doing, but you know, slowly and gradually, right. You, you see him and, you know, he become, he became more and more at peace with himself. And you could see that no matter how big of a crisis uh, was thrown at him. He could still somehow manage to navigate those crises or whatever problems uh, they, they they were um, with calmness, with clarity, um, and with efficiency too. So I was like, uh, and 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 most important of all, with joy. Even at difficult times, he were he was still able to navigate. Uh, with joy. Now, of course, no one wants to have trouble, but it is really about your attitude 
towards those problems, right? I mean, if you if you're if you're frustrated, if you get um, you know angry, then it doesn't help anything. So he really taught me a lot of that just by him by example. I mean, it it wasn't like you know he was you know force feeding any of these ideas uh, on me. Now, as for my diet preference, um, now even when I was a child, um, I was never too fond of the idea of. Uh, eating meat or eating seafood. I, I remember one of the most traumatic scenes um, when I was a child was when my mom took me to the market. And, you know, in Asia, as you probably know, is um, people actually, like, let's say they go to the fish market and they see, oh, this one is, the, uh, is you know, looks like it's the most fresh. And then, like, literally, you know, the, you know, the person would take the fish out of the tank and then, butcher. <laughs> and, 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 and I remember witnessing that scene, like when I was seven, I think six or seven years old. And I immediately, immediately told my mom that please don't bring me back again, you know? And, and I start to have this kind of, um, just very, uh, just this kind of a feeling that, you know, these are not the things I really want, uh, to eat. But of course, at that time I was too young. So, uh, I wasn't immediately telling my mom when I was seven years old that, you know, I don't want to follow, you know, what the family or what other people were eating. But then about 20 years ago, um, again, there, I mean, I can go into more details, um, but with our limited time, I'll just say, you know, it, you know, there was a time, you know, a period uh, or for a few weeks when I start to just reflect a little bit. And I said, you know what, I don't think, this goes well with me. This is against my personal uh, feeling and about my personal just principle. I think it's unnecessary to cause any harm to other lives. So I decide I turn plant-based um, in January of 2001. Wow. Now, just listening to you, David, I've always had this feeling that you're this old soul. Uh, that you've got, you've got <laughs> some, you know, there's a, a six or seven-year-old making that awareness switch, I think, is is is... Is is amazing. I, I just I just wanted to. It's, it's funny as well because the, the, the disassociation the disassociation we have with food is st- astonishing. Now I am a meat eater, so just you know yeah. just to kind of, yeah, I, I am I am I am someone that actually uh, uh, likes meat. However, I remember when I went to Hong Kong in 1997. I first landed in Hong Kong, got into my tiny little apartment, which shocked me just how crazy small it was, and then I went to welcome. <laughs> The local supermarket for any moment this yep. is in the US mm. and Europe and I um, I went to buy a chicken and mm. when I bought that chicken it was the first time so I'm at that time I'm you know 22 23 years old it was the first time in my life I'd ever been handed a chicken in a supermarket with the leg still attached you know and I suddenly realized it was <laughs> And, you know, it was an animal. I asked them to take the legs off, but to them, they're like, oh, they're, they're delicacy. Yeah, we can put them in a bag for you. Sure. You know that, mm. like, can you take the head off? You know, like the whole, whole presentation of the animal is so different in the West. I mean, for example, again, your point, there are very, very, very few. I can, I can only think of one or two in Chinatown where you would actually be able to go and get a fish out of yeah. the fish tank and then cut it up and yeah. eat it. Whereas in Asia, that's very common. You know, that's yes. how they prove it's yeah, oh, fresh. It's totally common. That's, 
Yeah, exactly. It's like that is like people would choose the freshest, right? Right. It's like, oh, that fish is swimming. Yeah, the freshest. Really, They're actually you know. still alive. They're still deciding which one is still alive in the tank is yes. freshest. Yeah. Which, so, I, you know, I think is amazing, isn't it? It's just, I mean, and, but I don't think, I think in a way the best education for sometimes is exactly the experience you had as a six or seven year old. No one in the Western world has that experience unless you've got Chinese family. I'm married to a Chinese right. person, so I get that experience. But, you know, I, for, for a lot of people, they'd never even have that experience, right? Yeah, so I guess, um, well, first of all, when you're a child, um, your, your first instinct is just very genuine, right? It's like uh, eel or, or, or yuck or please don't, please don't do that. Um, and I, I think all children and all human beings, really, I mean, we, we, sh- we have compassion. We, we don't want to see, you know, like lives being killed in front of us. In fact, we don't want any lives to be killed. So, I mean, and then fast forward to today, the fact that I'm working on a venture to, you know, to promote plant-based diet, um, to have my own company to innovate plant-based meats, to replace um, animal meats, um, and to promote just, and, and to enable people with a much more sustainable, healthy, and humane options. I mean, I, I'm just, I, I feel incredibly blessed to be in this position um, to every day I know uh, I'm making a difference. My team knows collectively we are making a difference. So um, yeah, I mean, so that background of mine from even when I was six or seven years old, I guess quietly plant the seed uh, in what I be, end up doing right now. I'm always interested in the family history and the influence. Again, I, I think about my audience and how their parents influence them to make decisions. Today, your father was clearly very influential. I'm always interested in the ages. Like, so, for example, for me, my father died when I was 15 years old. So one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast today is because I feel like I wish he'd done a podcast about mm. what he was doing and what he was about. So I could have learned that because he never really talked to me about that stuff when I was younger. So, you know, part of the reason I'm now doing it is kind of getting the knowledge from people like yourself downloaded for that 15 year old me. So I'm influenced a lot by my experiences. But how old were you when your dad switched, for example, to being a plant based uh, food? Um, I was in my early 20s uh, when oh, so he was, switched. Oh, so it was quite late. So you, you had this six or seven-year-old experience and, and decided to switch away from wanting to eat well, fish, for example. Now, I didn't, I didn't switch at that time. I mean, it was a traumatic uh, moment for me, but I was too young to just tell my family that, hey, I want to go uh, on my own, right? So I... When I turned vegetarian in 2000, early 2001, uh, I was 24 years old. Oh, yeah. So I was 24 yeah. at that time. Right. Um, but that seed was planted when I was six or seven. But why did your father switch? Did you, do you understand that, why he uh, Well, I mean, he practiced Buddhism. And again, the, the core theme about Buddhism is, the, the whole thesis of Buddhism is about compassion, right? Mm. So, um, so he, 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 he made that decision himself. Um, he didn't impose anything on the rest of his family, on us. Um, and then one day I came to the same conclusion and I went to him, went up to him and say, Hey, um, now I think I know why you are doing what you're doing. And, and he, you know, he had this very, you know, satisfied, you know, look and smile. And it's just, you know, we, at different point of our life, of course, but uh, came to the same conclusion. Of course, he was overjoyed that I came to that conclusion. 
Do you have brothers and sisters? I do. I have a younger, uh, younger brother, younger sister. And are they also plant-based? Right. Uh, my sister is now. Uh, my brother is not. Okay. I guess it's just some people take longer than others to uh, see the benefits or is it? Well, I guess, you know, I, okay. I always like to say that even my wife um, is not a full vegetarian or vegan right now, even, although I'm daily preaching this, uh, but that's okay. I mean, um, the key is about, and that is really the spirit of Green Monday is, it's about the portion, it's about the racial. Um, not everyone can become a vegan tomorrow. I mean, in fact, I, I think that most likely is impossible. But everyone should switch, you know, 20, 30%. And of course, the more, the better. So in my wife's case, she's about 80% plant-based. And occasionally she would have her, you know, chicken or fish, uh, you know, meals, especially when we eat out and, you know, she has her own uh, entree and I have my own. But at home, we are pretty much all plant-based. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we don't have to, like the fact that my brother is not vegetarian, um, but I would never bug him and I would never judge uh, anything. I think it's, you know, everyone needs to come to their own uh, decision and conclusion. But I definitely think that the racial can switch. So the, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you were talking about um, how, how grateful you are for you know, what you're able to do today and what you're involved in, how purposeful it feels. And I feel like the word luck almost slipped out of your uh, mouth around this subject. But what is your view on luck and has, has it played a role in your life? Now, um, you know, any, anyone who enjoys any form of success, right, um, I think it would be way too self-centered to just say that, hey, I am that much smarter than the other people. I'm that much smarter than, um, you know, my competitors. That's why I deserve my success. Um, quite frankly, you know, luck always plays a role. Um, you know, in anyone's journey, good luck and bad luck, of course, you know. Um, but that said, though, I mean, I do think, um, especially, again, in the context of Zen Buddhism, is that we do create our own luck. You know, the more we plant the seeds, the more we, you know, uh, create good karma, the, 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 the more we build the good vibe, the positive vibe around us, then ultimately we also benefit from that vibe and that karma. So, um, so yes, luck is definitely a factor, but at the end you are responsible for your luck. Um, now if you, you know, if you always take advantage of people, if you are cons consistently lying, uh, and you know, just, you know, tricking other people, then maybe short term you 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 may benefit or you gain something but you know in the medium to long run i mean you you will absolutely i mean you you have to pay for that eventually so um and then the moment when you have to pay i mean do you say oh you know just blame it on bad luck or did you build did you dig that hole for yourself to fall into right so um so yeah i mean i do luck is a factor but at the same time you know we got to be, we got to take responsibility for what we do. And, and if at this moment, I mean, and for a lot of people who are listening, now, if you think you're in a, in a trouble or difficult, 
you know, patch in your life, right? If you think this is a very difficult moment and you're suffering from a lot of bad luck. Um, now, first of all, I think, do remember that everyone goes through these, you know, moments um, and, you know, good luck, bad luck. Sometimes it's almost like cycle, you know, and the bad luck period maybe is the time to build your resilience, you know, to, to build up yourself, right? The character of your person. Um, because at the end, the so-called lucky people, they have all gone through that tough period and they emerge stronger, more resilient, um, and just tougher to handle these moments. And one of my favorite Buddha quotes is that everybody in the world has 10,000 hours of bad luck and 10,000 hours of good luck. And often <laughs> um, it's just a matter of perspective. Right, exactly. Yeah. Do you think entrepreneurs are, are born or bred? <laughs> um, you know, I, I must say, I mean, I have come across some people who are very smart, you know, who are very hardworking, um, and they have a lot of the elements for success, but they may not necessarily be good entrepreneurs. I mean, one of the thing about entrepreneurs is we take risk, you know, we, um, we aim or we strive to solve problems, um, and, you know, we see things before other people see them. Sometimes it's a, it's not a good thing because, you know, you may be so far ahead of your time of the time, but so I, you know, I think it's half and half. I mean, uh, I, I can't really say, even though there are obviously courses, you know, of entrepreneurship in, you know, in college and in a lot of places. Um, and of course there are plenty of books to teach about entrepreneurship. So yes, there are elements that you can learn, um, but there are some fundamental characters or traits in people that um, some people simply don't have those. Uh, and in that sense, you know, if they are not born with those qualities, then doesn't doesn't mean they cannot be successful. But it just means that they may not necessarily be good entrepreneurs. Mm. I, I actually know exactly what you mean. I was reading about your growth and how um, you're now in over 30 countries. When I first came back to London three years ago, I joined a few groups. And it was very interesting to see how people had posted, today's Monday, don't eat any meat. And I think the influence you've had, if I mean, for my listeners to understand, I mean, you are what you say on the tin, a Green Monday group, but you pioneered this concept that Monday should be the day when people don't eat meat. And I was so proud to read that one. I, I said to my, I know that person who started that movement. It's got my first post in one of the groups here um, with, a, with a link to what you're doing. But I, I, I know I, I, for entrepreneurs out there that you know, love the idea of not only doing something purposeful, but also growing it. Can you share any tips? I mean, how did you grow it to 30 countries, first of all? And how how did you manage to get this business off the ground? Wow, uh, that's that's uh, that's a broad question. Uh, now, first of all, I, I must uh, I got to uh, say that the idea of not eating meat on Monday or meat reduction, um, obviously in the UK, the Sir Paul McCartney and his family um, pioneered the movement of meatless Monday. Uh, a uh, meat-free Monday, I should say, meat-free Monday uh, in the UK. And in, in the US, there was some also organization called Meatless Monday. Now, but when I first listened to, when I first heard that concept, particularly in Asia, I knew immediately that the name Meatless um, 
may not be the best word, especially when you translate that to Chinese or many Asian languages. Um, it means more than just not eating meat. The connotation of meatless is actually foodless. So nothing to eat. <laughs> so it's not just not eating meat, it's just no food. So I'm pretty sure that won't take off, right? <laughs> Before we get to 30 countries, I don't even think we would last for more than 30 days. Um, so that's, that's number one. Is In Asia, that, you know, you, the translation, you've actually met Paul McCartney, right? He's, he's a big fan of what I you're did, doing. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, oh, that is one of the most surreal moments of my life, yes. I think I liked um, that picture twice when it came up. <laughs> I mean, I, even right now, when I show that picture or when I, when I see that picture, I mean, I'm like, this, did this really happen? I, I have to put myself. Um, but how to get it off the ground, though? Now, creating the movement, something that is simple, viral, actionable, um, to me, that is the essential elements of a movement is obviously you want to get as many people to join as possible. So uh, it must be something very catchy, something that is easily hashtagable, something that can be spread on Instagram uh, or social media in, 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 in a very viral way. So simple, viral, actionable. Now, action is if we talk about green, we talk about saving the world saving animals, there must be something that they can do. You can't just talk about a concept. So the, in, in, in green, right, in sustainability, you know, the three R's are often mentioned, right? Reduce, reuse, recycle. But I guess maybe it's because I have this entrepreneur bias. I just thought that is the right concept, but not actionable. So reduce, for example, right? Um, Hey, you know, let's go, let's meet at 5 p.m. today and let's go reduce. <laughs> reduce what? Uh, you know, where, how, you know, what are you talking about? Reduce to what level? Um, is a, is the concept itself, of course, is absolutely correct, but it is not, in my word, it is not actionable. Green Monday, on the other hand, is something that everyone can participate, right? Um, now we set the dates or the, you know, the day on a weekly basis. People, of course, can choose Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, whatever they like. But as long as you set a date, and in this case, let's say Monday, and then the action is, you know, switch from, you know, your meat diet to one day non-meat or less meat diet. And that is something that, you know, a three-year-old to an 83-year-old can participate. So that's number one, is how to get the movement going. Um, and the second is to build the solutions, is to build the tools to empower people to change. Now, I always knew this part is from day one, I knew that sustainability must come with innovation. We cannot just keep saying the world is dying, the planet is sick, um, and then you know we need to save polar bears. Um, now, of course, I want to save polar bears too, but, but you cannot just talk about the problem. You got to give people something that they can actually do or switch to, right? So in the case of transportation, okay, yes, we don't want to continue with fossil fuel cars. Then we need to have clean energy car or renewable energy car, right? And of course, you know, Elon Musk, Tesla, you know, and all the new uh, renewable energy vehicles are now becoming more and more popular. So it's not like you tell people to never drive again or never fly again, but rather give them 
an alternative and in fact a superior alternative. So so yeah, I mean that's how that's the foundation of, on how I got my venture off the ground is um, I knew all along that there's the advocacy and movement side and then there's the solution and empowerment side and they must go hand in hand. One cannot go without the other. Um, and but, but if you can combine them, then it becomes a super powerful engine to catalyze change. So how did you get it off the ground? I mean, I, 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 the social venture model, again, I know a lot of my listeners are really interested in this. A lot of the yeah, next yeah, generation yeah. do have right. real purpose. They want to work for companies that have purpose and they, they, they want to build things that have purpose. But how yeah. did you do it? Wow. Okay. So first of all, just like any venture, social or regular business, um, you need team. You, you got to have, um, I, I am never arrogant or, you know, confident enough to just say that I can do everything. Um, so the very, very core piece was, you know, I was lucky, you know, to have, you know, well, these are people I've known for a long time, but I was lucky to bring them on board or to, uh, that, you know, our, you know, we can resonate enough to say that, Hey, let's do this together. So, um, my co-founder, my core team members, these are, you know, friends who I've home, I've known for a long time and they share the same passion on this subject. So that's number one, right? Um, you don't build a company by yourself. I mean, and at the end, you know, how to, create the most, you know, comprehensive skill set and platform. You got to just have the right partners and people. So that's number one. Number two, of course, is to come up with the model. Um, you know, what are we trying to build? What, what are we trying to build and how does that solve the problem that we want to solve? Um, so as I said earlier, you know, the movement and, you know, the foundation, Green Monday foundation, and then the business side, which is the, you know, the, the solutions, now, of course, we couldn't do everything at one time. So um, I did kind of, you know, kind of lay them out from a timeline standpoint and say, hey, roughly this is, you know, component A and we'll spend, let's say, two years on that. And then then, and then maybe that will be, then the market and the world will, will be ready for component B, C, D, and E. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, that's how we kind of methodically and gradually grew this business. Um, we were, we are ambitious. We want to make a difference, but at the same time, we are also patient and methodical. I think that that is, um, they are not contradictory. The fact that you are aggressive, you want to uh, achieve something that you, we aim high, but at the same time on a day-to-day -day execution, we got to be disciplined. We got to be methodical uh, and got to be patient. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you know, Amazon, Apple, any, any company in the world, when, when they say it's an overnight success, that overnight probably took 10 years or 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Did you um, get investors to support you? Um, we do have some uh, individual investors, family offices, but when we started back in 2012 or, you know, more on the business size, 2015, this concept was still very foreign to anyone, particularly in Asia. I mean, like I remember, like I remember when we were pitching or just, you know, talking to investors, potential investors, right. 
um, yeah, I mean, everyone's like, okay, we'll focus on AI, you know, uh, blockchain, fintech. Um, yeah, you know, you know, plant-based meats, <laughs> alternative protein. Uh, you know, w- what are we talking about? And you know, to be honest, I mean, there were numerous occasions that we were mocked, you know, by whoever we were talking to, and it wasn't the most pleasant experience. So, so, but, but, I mean, thankfully, myself and my partner, we come from business families. So uh, we have a little bit of capital uh, ourselves to kick off the, the company and to fund. Uh, if not for that, I w- I'll be very honest. I don't think there will be Green Monday the way it is today. Because yeah, I know a lot of my listeners, I get asked this question a lot. They want to start a business. They've got a social enterprise. It feels like a lot of the investment community just isn't geared up to support a yes. social enterprise. Yes. And, and, I mean, and, I think this is, uh, I mean, I hope programs like this, I hope sharings like this can uh, just inspire and can trigger more investors and more, you know, people to think with um, kind of a more open mind. And now, of course, I can guarantee it. I'm not saying that every social venture is going to be, you know, a successful one. In fact, you know, there's no guarantee of anything, but at least think with that direction, right? Not just pure you know, financial return, not just pure, uh, you know, numbers, but actually I really think impact investing can be extremely lucrative when it comes to investment return. The reason is that if a company truly is solving a big social problem, a big world problem, right, then that company is important. And if a company is important, then chances are it has value (laughs) and, you know, now, again, I don't know what industry that belongs to, but a valuable company, you know, that, can, that is solving big global problems. I mean, how can that not be a good investment? Um, so eventually, it will be a good financial return. Um, so in our case, uh, today, now we are getting more, we are attracting a lot more interest. In fact, I mean, on a day-in, day-out basis, we are, you know, we're getting calls, inquiries, and things like that. But um, but usually at that time, you know, I won't say it necessarily late to the game, but it's just not, you know, you're not helping the entrepreneurs when they need help most. I'm actually working on a social enterprise business right now myself, and it's a bit shocking, the investment community around this. You make me want to do like a joint podcast show with you where we interview these VCs and put them on the spot and start to change the industry. Because I like your point earlier around like sometimes these things that, yes, more people should invest in social impact uh, businesses. And I agree with everything you've just said, but then they don't, you know. So it would be interesting to actually create maybe um, some mechanism that could actually make them, I'm going to use your word, switch to just being a, you know, investor make money investment vehicle. into well, like- I, again, I mean, the, I mean, the simple solution or recommendation I can give to anyone, frankly, is, I mean, just allocate, right? I mean, let's, let's, let's just say allocate 10%. Okay, um, to impact and again use a different mindset when you evaluate companies. Um, again, that is not that is not the same as philanthropy or donation. I'm not asking people to use like a charity mindset. That's a big difference. I mean, impact investing is investing, but just with a different frame to gauge companies and entrepreneurs. I think it would now, be- again, I'm not saying I'm not saying you know it guarantees success. Just like any business, uh, there's no guarantee, but 
simply start from an allocation. I mean, 10%, 20%, no one says you need to, it's not binary, right? It's not like I, I can only invest in stock market or I can do impact investing. It's not binary. You can do asset allocation. <laughs> well, I mean, it's ironic as well, because if you actually read the websites of a lot of investment organizations they'll talk about how they want you to solve a problem you know um but but then they they look at things like facebook is solving a problem okay yes it does (laughs) but you know what if facebook was also pushing a a a social impact uh purpose um you know not getting too political about facebook but conceptually you know like it actually what you're talking about within a a social impact business in my view actually is what makes that business very investable and unique perhaps quite often. They're not just yes. in it to make money. And I know myself, now I'm building a social impact platform myself, that I can see that people want to work for those organizations too. So the recruitment Definitely. process becomes easier too. And therefore the whole, you know, getting talent is a big part of, again, on any VC's website, you say, we invest in the people. Well, <laughs> to get the best people, you know, yes, you still need to pay them well and all of that. But ultimately yeah. it is about the purpose, right? Yeah, totally. So, um, so yes, I mean, our story of getting off the ground, you know, start with the, you know, start with the problem, climate change, food insecurity, you know, unsustainable food system. So I, you know, we identify a giant problem, um, that affects the whole planet and then just work backward and say, you know, what are the pillars? What are the components, uh, it takes to move the needle and then start to tackle them one by one. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I we, we can spend for hours to further discuss but i mean i guess the quick answer in terms of how to get us off the ground that that was the answer and and, and getting into other countries very quickly i know we are running out of time i could go very deep with you on all these subjects because you've got so much knowledge but getting into other countries how did you do that well leverage right i mean um now when you when you once you start creating momentum um then that snowball effect start to happen. Um, you know, getting the first, you know, 10, 15, 100 companies or groups or people to join Green Monday or to adopt uh, this change, of course, is difficult. But once that wheel starts turning, then momentum itself, it generates itself enough momentum. And then before you know it, people in, you know, Thailand, Singapore, Taiwan, China, Japan, Europe, North America, they are calling us and they say, hey, you know, how can I launch Green Monday? You know, I see, you know, company A is doing it and school B and restaurant C are now launching Green Monday. And I see that they're using Omnipog. I see that they're using your products. Um, Actually, we see demand in our market too. So um, now, of course, media and, you know, PR and all that and social media helps a lot. Um, because it breaks any uh, physical barriers. Um, you know, we, it reduce, there's, there's no distance between people now. I mean, no matter how far apart physically we are, but, you know, social media wise, I mean, you is, is as if that person or that company is right next to you. So I think all that um, help kind of uh, accelerate our entry into many markets. I think people do overlook the PR piece. I think, again, I want my listeners to pick up on this. It's kind of pushing all the buttons. You won Social Entrepreneur of the Year um, by the World Economic Forum. Um, I mean, things like that definitely are not only recognition you deserve, but that's got to help too, right? Well, um, you know, just like any anyone or any business, right, um, people are looking for 
companies that they can trust. You know, so credibility, especially if we're talking about impact, if we're talking about social good, um, how do people know that you are real? How do people know that you are, you know, uh, authentic and uh, practical at the same time? So having those kind of recognition on one hand, of course, is a huge honor. Uh, but on the other hand, it just adds that much more credibility um, to the organization. So I'm I'm incredibly grateful to every you know award or every organization that has given us that who has lent that credibility to us over the years. Well, I could talk to you all day, and I want to. So I want you <laughs> back on this podcast show. I'd like to go deeper into the social enterprise world. Yep. Um, yeah. But I'd like to end the podcast on a, a lighthearted question. If you sure. went back to the younger David and gave some advice, what would it be? There's no need to fear about failure. Um, just, you know, whatever, you know, I think most people, right, um, you don't want to fail. Um, and, and we take failure quite seriously. But you can definitely detach failing at something versus you as a person as a failure is completely separate i mean the most successful people in the world i mean you know einstein you know addison uh to more recently you know gates jobs i mean these are people who have failed a thousand times in their life in various things but it's failing at certain things and then they use that as data point to to improve um, or actually to leapfrog uh, to a new way of thinking. They use those so-called failures at certain things as data point, you know, to, to tell themselves, oh, you know, door A, door B don't work, then let's go for uh, door, door C or D. Um, so actually, really, there's just nothing to fear. Uh, there's no need to be uh, shy uh, in terms of trying new things. I mean, if I can go back and say, hey, you know, the 18-year-old or the 25-year-old version of David, I would say, actually fail even more. You know, take more so-called risk because um, the more you go through that process, the more experience and wisdom uh, and knowledge you accumulate, which will be just vastly, incredibly important to the rest of your career and the rest of your life. So, so yes, that would be the one piece of advice I would share to myself, the, the younger David, if I could. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> so much, David. Again. It's such a interesting insights. I, I want to quickly sum up what I've, what I've taken from today. I've taken a lot, but these are just my highlights. I like to share this at the end of the podcast in case anyone skips too much of the podcast and misses something interesting. But a few things. First of all, I do think uh, plant seeds to create good karma is an interesting mantra. It's mm-hmm. a, good, a good analogy. I think the concept of building a company people can trust is, is actually a really important thing and overlooked. I hardly hear it, but that trust piece is so important. I, I like this idea that you've highlighted around the original thing that I heard growing up too, which is like reduce, reuse, and recycle actually being quite redundant. And I've taken away a different three words, which is kind of switch leverage and renew which you know to me is 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 much more uh, in line with action you can mm. take and i and i love that i do think people need to think about solving a problem more than anything else and then building a team around it i think that's a very interesting first few steps so many people say they need to raise money as a first step and i say that absolutely not what is the problem you're solving and then get your tribe 
begin to build your tribe. So what you've said there about solving a problem and building a team is the first few steps is exactly right. And I want the listeners to pick up on that. You didn't say raise a load of money and then start. You know, It was about that purpose and then the team. And, and so, yeah, I think the final thing you said, uh, which, I, which I also really think is core to this kind of entrepreneurial journey, is, is failure is a, a way of leapfrogging to success. You know, I, I like leapfrogging. It's the first time I've heard it explained that way. So, so thank you for that. And uh, it, it is absolutely true. It's, it's, a, it's a way of, of fast-tracking to success. It's not the end unless you stop. So, so David, thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm going to go hug one of my Buddha statues after this because um, I feel that uh, you know, I've had some, a lucky moment getting a chance to interview you. So thank you for your well, time today. No, well, thank you. And um, you know, just hope everyone can have some good takeaway from this. Yes. So again, once again, appreciate for having me. No, thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you at Start Me Up Hong Kong in July. That will be fun. And uh, yeah, look forward to, uh, to seeing you then, David. Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you've chosen us. We, of course, feel lucky. If you want to hear more, please go to thegoodluckpod.com or go to any of our social media pages and share with us your views, your insights and any way that we can improve what we're doing to make it a better experience for you. We wish you the best of luck.